The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, it's a little bit back to sense of normalcy. We've gotten through the holidays, and I hope that you're ready to jump back in uh, Genesis. Actually, we, we jumped back in last week because I can make anything go back to Genesis, right? The Christmas story, it all started in Genesis. Everything starts in Genesis. But today, we continue where we left off. Last week, we saw in Genesis 15, Abram was struggling amidst his affliction. And what did the Lord do? The angel of the Lord came to him and said, remember the person of the Lord and remember the promises of the Lord. Remember his faithfulness. The God, the God is faithful. And he was struggling because he was waiting on the arrival of the son that he had been promised. And we saw how we also struggle because we are waiting on the return of the son who came on Christmas. And so today, as we turn the pages to chapter 16 of Genesis, we're going to look at all of chapter 16. In Genesis 16, we find Sarah in her affliction. And so she also is afflicted and needs comfort because she is waiting also on these promises uh, of the arrival of the Son. And so we, we find ourselves in a very similar position. We are in a world that is, struggles with affliction. We, we see all kinds of affliction that we live in. And we're going to see this text is all about God coming to Sarah and Abram and Hagar amidst their affliction. We are waiting for the return of Christ, and when Christ returns, he's going to do away with all the affliction. He, he died and was himself afflicted in his first coming when he was cruci- crucified on the cross, and he did that to pay the price for our sins, which brought on all the affliction. But when he rose again and went to heaven, he said, I'll come again, and when he does return, he will finally bring about full, his full kingdom, his kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. And so we, as we await for the return of the Son of God, the Son of Abraham, we experience a lot of affliction. And my prayer is that today, as we look at Genesis chapter 16, we're going to make three observations from the text, and I I pray that this will not only uh, comfort you in your affliction, but also that it will equip you to not bring new afflictions upon yourself as we see uh, they doing in this text. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we look at these three observations and convert them into three uh, New Year's resolutions, Lord, that you would keep us not only from affliction, but keep us in the midst of affliction, that you would comfort us as we see you doing with Hagar in this text. Lord, I pray that you will do this to your own glory, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. We, we arrive at Genesis chapter 16 with uh, verse 1, picking up in the story. Here's what the Lord tells us uh, in, in this passage. It says, Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, now behold, I have a great idea, honey. She said, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. 
So let's stop there for just a second. So it's been 10 years since Sarai had her husband come to her and say, okay, God spoke to me. And she's like, okay, first of all, that scares me. You're hearing voices. And and he says, well, God told me that we need to leave all that is comfortable. Leave your people, your family, your homeland. And he told us to go somewhere, but he hadn't quite told me where yet. He just said, start walking, start obeying, trust me, obey me, and I'll show you where you're going to go. And so that right there began Sarah's affliction, right? She's afflicted because her husband is leading her to take massive steps of faith in a world that is filled with uncertainty, leaving all of her comforts of home, launching out on a journey of faith. And so she, give her credit, she does, she follows and they go to this land that ultimately becomes the promised land, a massively important land in our scriptures. And so she goes with Abram and they go and all they have to hang on at this point in the story, all they have to hold on to is a promise from God. We saw those promises in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where God said, it is through you, you will have a child, the Redeemer you will, you will find will come through your descendants. And it's been 10 years, 10 years, Sarah heard that great news, was excited, laughs, is, is, is overwhelmed, and then waits. And waits, and waits, and waits, and waits. And like Abram, we find her afflicted and struggling and and tempted in this time of waiting. And so what she does, tragically, is starts to scheme and starts to, to plan and starts to figure out how can we make what God said was gonna happen, how can we bring it about on our timetable? Because his timing and my timing aren't working out so well. And, and she wants God's will, but she's impatient and she's doubting that God is going to be able to bring it about. And so she begins to scheme. And it's important to understand that this text is descriptive and not prescriptive. What that means is that sometimes we get so emotionally connected to the characters in the Bible that we know are heroes of our faith, like Abraham and like Sarah that we think that everything they do is good, and this is what God would tell us to do. And that's not the case. Many times what the Bible records for us is how they messed up. And so this is a description of Sarah's reaction, but it's not God's prescription on what to do when you fear God's promises are going to fail. Because that is what we see Sarah doing, is a a fear of God's promises are not going to come true, and so she begins to take matters into her own hand. And so here we see a description of what she does, but we're going to see it's not a good plan. Genesis 2 has already made it clear about marriage, that God's design, God's will for marriage is one man and one woman come into a relationship, become worship partners for the glory of God. It is not God's plan for one man to marry one woman and then another woman and then another woman. But we see that all throughout the Old Testament of heroes of the faith. And there's little mention of what we should think about that. Well, let me just make it clear. That is not God's will. And we know that from the scriptures in Genesis 2. It's, It's one man, one woman come together, one flesh. And then we see also in Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 6, God forbids his people from marrying 
ungodly women, women who are not among the people of God, i.e. this Hagar who is from Egypt. And so there's clear implications here that this is a sinful response to a difficult situation. In fact, John Selhammer points out that the, the account of Abram and Sarah are, is very parallel to the account of Adam and Eve. That this is intentionally done by the author, by God's author, to say this is very similar to the fall. And he points out that in both situations, Abram listened to the wife. The wife took and the wife gave to her husband. That's exactly how it's described in, with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Adam listened to his wife. The wife took and the wife gave to her husband. And so the point of the, is this. This is a sinful response to the fact that things are not turning out the way that, God, that they thought God's plan would turn out. We often find ourselves in a very similar situation. We think we know how things are going to play out. We think we've got the timing figured out. We think we've got it all planned out. And then God doesn't act on our timetable. And oftentimes we find ourselves just like Sarai sitting there going, I mean, I I want God's will, but maybe I've missed it. Maybe I'm not doing something I should do. Maybe I need to take matters into my own hand. And so she gets and makes a bad decision. And I, I hope this begins to ring alarm bells in our own mind, that when we find ourselves growing impatient, tiring of waiting on the Lord, and we begin to think about manipulating and scheming and trying to do things our way, we need to be aware, we need to be self-aware and say, no, this is not a good path to put myself on. This is probably going to lead to sin because I'm probably operating from a place of fear instead of a place of faith. And so let's see this, what happens as a result of their sinful decision is affliction is brought upon them. It says in verse 4, Abram, I'm going to mention their names just because the pronouns get kind of confusing. At least when I, I studied it, I was struggling to keep it straight. So Abram went into Hagar, and she, Hagar, conceived. And when Hagar saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, was despised in Hagar's sight. So Hagar conceives with Abram, and then Hagar despises Sarai. Verse 5, Sarai says to Abram, and I think this is funny, he says to Abram, may the wrong done me upon be upon you. And I'm like, what? Wasn't this your idea, honey? And so Sarai said, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's take matters in our own hand. It starts to go bad, and now she's realizing, wait, this is not a good idea. And then she turns to Abram, what were you thinking? May the wrong be done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. And she stomps off to her room. Right? Not that we've ever seen this in our homes, but it sounds strangely familiar. You do not want that statement coming out of your wife's mouth. May the Lord's judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, we are people of God. Follow the Lord's will no matter how hard. That's not what he did. He said, Behold, 
Do what you want to do, babe. Just don't be mad at me. Do what you want to do with Hagar. She's in your hands. Your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated Hagar harshly, and Hagar fled from her presence. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we sin. Again, none of this is prescriptive. This is not how to respond from a place of fear. This is a description of the affliction brought on a household because someone and a group of someones respond in sin when they get afraid that God's not going to deliver on his promises. Just like Adam and Eve, their sin led to shame and blame and division. We see the same thing happening here. Scheming out of a place of fear leads to sin, and sin leads to shame and to blame and to division. And here is a family that is a household that is racked with division and blame, and Sarah is thinking she's got a great plan, and, and Hagar, the plan actually works. And then Hagar turns and looks prideful and, and arrogantly down at Sarah. Yeah, I got pregnant. You didn't. I'm better than you. And then Sarah gets furious with Hagar and turns to her husband. Well, this is your fault. Why didn't you do something? And and then Abraham, instead of being the man of God, the leader that God's called him to be, when, when Sarah came to Abram, Abram should have said, No, babe, we need to wait on the Lord. I know it's hard. First of all, listen. That's what he should have done, right? Husbands, listen to what she's saying. And he should have listened to what her fears were, listened to what she's saying, and not just try to fix it. Those are two things we need to all learn, men. Listen and don't just try to quickly fix it. But when you've heard, you then point them to trust in the Lord and to continue to obey the Lord. And Abram should have said, no, it is not God's will that I take a second wife. We just need to keep trusting the Lord. He's faithful. We know he's been faithful in the past. We need to wait on the Lord. And then, instead of saying, here, I'm just going to appease you. I'm just going to keep you out of my hair. I'm just going to make life easy. He shouldn't just do that. He should lead her to the Lord, even though it's the harder task. And then a godly woman should embrace godly leadership. Should say, yes, you're right. You're pointing me to the Lord. I should follow that lead and agree with you that we should wait Trust and obey the Lord and continue and should not continue to push against such leadership. But instead, Abram neglects his leadership responsibility. Sarai responds by sinning. And so now we have affliction upon affliction upon affliction in the household. What happened? Where did it all go wrong? What's at the root of this sin? They failed to trust God's faithfulness. Same thing we saw in the garden. The tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Failure to trust that God knows what's good and evil leads to sin. So I'm going to turn this into a resolution since we're approaching New Year's this week. 
Now, my resolutions aren't near as catchy, near as exciting as the ones you're going to find other places. But these resolutions will radically change your life this year if you will follow them. Number one, always trust in God's faithfulness. You say, boring. If you'll do this in 2019, you'll have the blessed year. Always trust in God's faithfulness. You see, when we operate, there's two places we can operate from. If you want to oversimplify, it's just two places. Every decision you make comes from one of two places, a place of fear or a place of faith. When you're operating from a place of fear, you will manipulate, you will scheme, you will take matters in your own hand, and you will be leading yourself down the path of affliction. If you are operating from a place of faith that you trust God is faithful, you will still have difficulties, still have trials, but you will not bring affliction upon yourself. If you trust the Lord, wait on the Lord, and obey what the Lord says, you are walking down the blessed path that God has for your life. So resolution number one that we see from looking at the consequences of the sin they brought upon themselves, the affliction they brought upon themselves, resolution number one, always trust in God's faithfulness. So not only do we see the consequences of sin in the story, but we also see a call to submission. In verse 7 through 9, we see the call to submission. Look at verse 7. It says, Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Notice again, like we saw last week, the angel of the Lord comes to Abram in his affliction. Again, Hagar is afflicted, and the angel of the Lord comes to, proactively seeks out Hagar in her affliction by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, which is on the way to Egypt. And listen to what the angel says. This is a very interesting question. Of all the things that could have been said or could have been recorded, the angel says to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? I want you to help me answer the question that the angel asks Hagar. Where where have you come from and where are you going? Where is she coming from? Don't worry about wrong answers. I will make them all sound right. Where is she coming from? Where is she coming from? Abram's household. Getting away from Sarah. Okay, perfect answer. See, they're all right. Abram is what? What is Abram representative this fa- thus far in Genesis? Remember the fall? Everything was breaking down because of the fall. And God said in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, I will bring restoration and redemption through who? Abram and his son and his household. And so we have a picture of Hagar leaving the place of blessing. And where did Hagar and Sarah and and Abram, where did they all live? There's a lot of words for it, but the biggest way we think about it now is what? The promised land. They are in the promised land, which is the very place God says, in this land, by these people, 
I will bring full redemption and restoration. And so the angel comes to Hagar and says, hold on a minute. Think about it. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Now, where is she going? I already told you this place, it's called what? Where is she going? Egypt. The nations. She is leaving God's place of blessing and heading back out to the nations. Now, we can think of in the stories that we've been reading, Genesis 1 up till now, how'd that go with Lot? What was Lot's story? Lot was just tagging along with Uncle Abraham. And everywhere Abraham went, he went. And what was happening to his life? He was being blessed upon blessed upon blessed. So much so that they, they said, okay, we need more space because we've been blessed so much by God. And Lot made a tragic decision. Let me leave Abraham and let me leave the promised land. And let me go to a place called Sodom. And we go, oops. That's not a good plan. And so what happens to Lot when he leaves Abram and leaves the place of blessing and heads to Sodom? He ends up captured by the enemies of God. And Abram has to go rescue him again and bring him back to the place of blessing. And so the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and says, think about where you're coming from and where you're going. What are you running from? What are you afraid of, Hagar? And what are you going to that you think is going to solve your problems? Who is your God that you're running to? What is this imaginary land of promise that you have in your mind that you think is going to be better than what I have for you? You see, that's what happens with us when we're walking down a path working from a place of fear instead of faith. It's we're, we're running from something. We want to participate in something that will numb the fear or we want to take control and make circumstances happen so that we can bring about the end that we think should happen or the timing that we think. And, and what the Lord is saying to us when we're walking down the path of affliction is where are you coming from and where are you going? Because this leads to destruction. This is the path of affliction. And he says, I want you to repent. Now, what does repent mean? Repent simply means to turn, to change directions. And that's what he says to her in these verses. After he talks about where you come from, where you're going, he says in verse 8, or he says in verse um, 9, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Return, change directions, stop going away from God's authority, stop running away from this idealized, imagined place of blessing, and return back to the authority that God has over your life. In this case, it is a very challenging place. It says, go back and submit yourself to the affliction, the way it's literally worded in the Hebrew. Submit yourself back to the affliction of Sarah. Submit yourself to the authority that I, God says, have put over you. When God calls us to repent, to turn, to change directions, to quit running headlong into sin and 
trying to put things into our own hands and our own ways. He tells us to turn and get back under his authority. And most of the time, that means placing ourselves under a human authority that he has put in our life. Students, kids, children, God has authority over your life. And God has put parents in authority over your life. And sometimes you're going to view your parents or your teachers or the law, you're going to view those authorities like Hagar viewed Sarah as they're sinners. They don't always do things right. You don't know what they've done. And God says they are in authority over you. And their job as your authority is to teach you how to respect God's authority. And how you respond to your parents' authority is indicative of how you respond to God's authority the rest of your life. This is training ground on how to submit to the authority of God as you learn to submit to the authority of your parents even though they are not God and they are not perfect. You don't get, none of us gets the right to say, well, I don't have to obey God because they did me wrong. We don't get that privilege. We feel sorry for Hagar in this text. We're like, man, she kind of, she kind of seems to be done wrong here. Too bad. You don't get to use that as an excuse to run headlong into sin. You say, okay, well, how do I respond when someone sins against me? You offer forgiveness the way Christ has offered forgiveness to you. Now, clearly, God doesn't call us to follow ungodly, sinful authorities, but God does call us that even if we don't agree to someone's authority and their leadership, we follow them anyway. So, what should Hagar do in this situation? She's been sinned against by Abram and Sarah, but she was culpable in her own right. She sinned and participated in the sin, and now consequences have rained down. She's in the middle of affliction, and she heads out to Egypt. She's running away from God. She's running away from God's place of blessing and God's authority and the authority that God has placed in her life. Resolution number two, always submit to God's authority. Always trust in God's faithfulness. Always submit to God's authority. Never allow your circumstances or someone's sin against you. This is unscripted, but I just, I just feel like I need to spend a little moment here. Let me tell you what I see in a lot of counseling situations. And maybe it's because our culture has has their counseling approach too often is all about uh, their approach to it leads us, I'll just say it that way, leads us for me to have people in my office, they're, they're, they're afflicted in so many ways, and at the root of it is they've justified their sinful behavior because of the sin of their parents against them. For some reason, we think, well, it's my environment, it was my parents, it was my upbringing, it was this, it was that, it was the other, and I spend all my time saying, as long as you are fighting against that, you are walking down a path of affliction. 
You have got to find grace and forgiveness in Jesus to extend the grace and forgiveness to your parents. And quit using that as a crutch and as an excuse. And that will put you back on the path of blessing. And that's what we see in this text. Hagar is told, repent, which means to turn, to come back, place yourself back under the authority of God, always submit to God's authority. And more times than not, submitting to God's authority includes submitting to the authority of someone God has put over you. Government, law enforcement, parents, bosses, teachers. This is for everyone, not just for the students. Obviously, we do not put up with sinful abuse. We get in a safe place to be protected. We do not follow any authorities that tell us to sin against God. But anything short of that, we say, okay, God has put this person in my life. I am to follow and submit. Now, what is the ultimate authority God has put in your life? The Word of God. And so for most of us, what that means is that this year, you open your Bibles You read along with us as we have in our weekly email. We're sending you out daily Bible readings, maybe five minutes it takes. You read it, and when you read it, hear me now, don't don't lose focus. When you read this, you're not sitting in authority over the Bible. The Bible is sitting in authority over you. And you say, Lord, I'll do whatever you say today. And then the next day, you do it again. Always... Always, always submit to God's authority and you'll be on the path of blessing. So we've seen the consequences of sin. Tells us always trust in God's faithfulness. And we see the call to submission. Tells us always submit to God's authority. And finally, we see grace again, the care of the Savior in verses 10 through 16. Verse 10, it says, Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, Hagar, sitting in her affliction by the well, says to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. What does this sound like? You ever heard these words before? Have you ever heard these promises before? Have you ever heard these before? Yes. Yeah. Now, who were these promises made to before? Abram and Sarah. This is strange. Why would God make such similar promises to Hagar? What we see is as Hagar repents... She turns away from going to her own way and turns to return back to God's authority, God's plan, God's place of blood. She starts to share in the promises of Abram. She's participating in the blessings of Abram. She's participating in what God said would be for those who align themselves with Abram. And that is the picture for us, is that as we are walking headlong down the path of affliction, thinking we have a better plan, a better way, operating on fear instead of faith, if we will turn and we will walk back towards the Lord, place ourselves back under his authority, his care is always there. 
He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He promises restoration. You will participate in the blessings of the son of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean there's not consequences. Look at verse 12. We see some of the consequences for her son. He will be a wild donkey of a man. That's a nice way to say some words that we're not going to use in church. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east of his land. He will not be of the promised people. But she found comfort in the care of her Savior. In verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive after seeing him? Verse 14, therefore the well was called Beer Life Roy, which we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. Behold, it's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And a little time marker, as the writer does, Abram was, 80, was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So in these verses, we see the verses are full of affliction. In our translations, we don't see it as clearly, but let me go back and look at it. In verse 6, we're told Sarah was treated harshly. The word affliction is there. Sarah was afflicted. In verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself to her affliction. Again in verse 11, the Lord has given heed to your affliction. The Lord has given heed to your affliction. Now what is the affliction that Hagar is in? Most of it is sin that she and Sarah and, hey and Abram have brought upon themselves. It's affliction from their own sin, affliction from sin against me. This is the way it is in our life. As we await the return of our Savior, we experience affliction. Much of the affliction is We are responsible for. We make decisions, we sin, we get punished by our parents, or we make decisions, we sin, and we create this terrible, complex, chaotic situation in our household. We live out of fear, we make sinful decisions, and we face consequences. Sometimes our affliction comes directly, provoked by us. Someone just sins against us, and it hurts. We also have the affliction of the sin in general, in our bodies. Our bodies fail. We get sick. They hurt. They break down. Our minds break down. This is all part of the affliction of sin in general. We live in a society that is built upon sinful precepts and concepts that that afflict us. What is the Lord telling you today as you experience affliction on every turn? saying, I heed your affliction. I know what you're experiencing. The afflicted one who was afflicted for our sin knows your hurts. 
It's all in this text, and in, a, in much the way we experience it in an invisible way, we, we don't see God's presence. Just like in this text, it's, it's almost like he's just there in these subtle ways. It says in verse 8, not so subtle, the Lord came to Hagar in her affliction. In verse 11, Hagar is told to name the child Ishmael. What does that name mean? Ishmael, the name means God hears. He hears your affliction, Hagar. In verse 13, Hagar calls God El Roy. God sees. God sees my affliction. God hears my affliction. In verse 14, the well is called Ber Lahroy, which means the living one who sees me. This text is reminding you all over what is plainly stated in verse 11. The Lord, he gives heed to your affliction. The Lord doesn't look at you and say, well, you brought it on yourself. Look at the mess that you've created. The Lord says, I love you. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He gives heed to your affliction. Our final resolution, number three, always hope in God's compassion. Always hope in God's compassion. No matter where you find yourself, you're thinking, well, you don't know what I did to cause this affliction. Always hope in God's compassion. That's what the writer of Limitations 3, 19 through 24 is saying. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope, always hope in God's compassion. He says, here's why I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses Indeed, never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.